this is another Advent sermon. I, I determined some time ago, just because Christmas uh, hit last Monday, let's, still, let's use this extra Sunday to still talk about what the coming of Christ means. So here are a random set, it's not really random, of a bunch of scriptures. Once you see if you can notice something about the scriptures, what they have in common. Oh God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. The day is yours, and yours also the night. You established the sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and winter. The Lord said to Moses, command the Israelites and say to them, when you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance is to have these boundaries. Your southern side will include some of the desert of Zen along the border of Edom. Your southern boundary will start in the east from the southern end of the Dead Sea. Your western boundary will be the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This will be your boundary on the west. For your northern boundary, run a line from the Mediterranean Sea to Mount Hor. For your eastern boundary, run a line from Hazar Inan to Shephem. The boundary will go down from Shephem to Riblah on the east side of Ain and continue along the slopes east of the Sea of Galilee. About this time, you're thinking, youth, glad we didn't memorize this instead of the Sermon on the Mount. Then the boundary will go down along the Jordan and end at the Dead Sea. This will be your land with its boundaries on every side. When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. All of them speak of boundaries. All of them speak of a particular direction. We live in a very odd time. I'm not a big fan of the the modern, postmodern split. I, I think that that, once again, can be rather arbitrary. I believe that there's always been gray area in most things, but most of us realize there aren't gray areas in some things. For example, if I want to get from here, let's say, to Knoxville, I don't have the option of either driving I-40 or driving I-20 twice. I... <clears throat> I found out. So the, or I, I, I don't have the option to declare that today is a different day, especially if it's the day that my mortgage is due and I'd rather pay it oh, in another month or two. No, it's not arbitrary. Whenever the, the doctor prescribes medication for you, if they're a good doctor and you're a good patient, you realize this is what I need. You can't say, no, I took other pills because I like those colors better. And yet, when it comes to spirituality, we act as if it doesn't matter, whatever way you want to. I, I've had so many people tell me, 
all roads lead to heaven. And I'll look at them and I'll say, is there anything else in the universe where all roads go to the same place? Well, no. Then why do you assume on this one, the most important one? When I was a boy, one of the first not in the songbook songs, I don't know if you remember the, how that hit you the first time, thinking, is this legal? Uh, the, the first not in the songbook songs was, I know the Lord will find a way for me. The refrain went, if I walk in heaven's light, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will find a way for me. Today I want to talk about the way. Advent changed everything. It changed everything from the birth of Jesus to today. If you don't like change, you don't like the Advent. Even Jesus' first recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, starts with Jesus repeatedly saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus, had, Jesus made no secret of his desire and his intention to change everything about us, everything about our relationship to God, everything about our relationship to each other. And in that sermon, he began a work that continues to this very day. My wife and I enjoy several of the home makeover shows on HGTV. She enjoys it because of design and such. I enjoy it because I, I think it's witchcraft. I have zero house-fixing abilities, ever, at all. Many of you men have a honey-do list. I have a don't-you-dare-do-it list, <laughs> which is currently in volume eight. But I love seeing the transitions. I, I cannot walk into a house and see what they see. My wife's an interior designer. She's very good at her job, and we've been married 38 years. And she comes home, and she tells me what she did. I have never yet understood one word, but I stand there because I'm a good husband, and she's cute. So I'm going to stand right there and go, oh, ah, yeah, that's, that's fascinating, that is. But we do watch, and we do enjoy the, all the possibilities. It amazes me you can walk in and see the possibilities. Many of you may not have given us a thought, but I always like tracing streams of things, whether they're songs or TV shows or whatever, and see where they came from. All of these shows started with two main streams. First was a British show where they just changed one room of a house, and then it became an American show, and it all blew up from there. And perhaps the high point was those years that ABC ran Ty Bennington's Extreme Home Makeover, which was just radical every way you looked at it. It began, however, as a moderate repair show. They would just go in and fix a foundation, or they would change some doors about. Or, But very early in the first season, I was fascinated when I saw something happen. As they looked and made plans and they came upon other things, you could almost see it in their faces that this was not going to work. And finally, Ty said, we have to tear the whole thing down. You can't save this house. We have to build a new house on the footprint of this one. And that was radical, but it became a wonderful thing. Advent, when it came, didn't tear everything down. The coming of Jesus didn't mean that the teachings of Moses were bad or that God didn't like Jews anymore 
or that he didn't have a special relationship with the Jews, or he was turning his, his back on the work of the, uh, that he had done with the Jews. Not at all. It's a remaking, however, of boundaries, a changing of the borders. God has always been interested in borders. He has always put lines around us, sometimes expanding those lines, other times contracting them, but always to keep us safe. Most of you know Ecclesiastes 3, the, the whole, uh, there's a time for this and a time for that. There's a time for this and a time for that. And if you don't know it from Ecclesiastes, you know it from the birds. So you've heard it. You know a bit. And those of you who, now the kids are going, birds sang that song? It was, it was an old group. Uh, ignore them. Move on. Uh, old people talk about things. Jesus was going to move some walls saying, there's a time for this now. But the time for that is over. There's a time for this. There's another time for that. He wanted us to stay in our lane. We were about to get an extreme makeover of the universe. Think of some of the boundaries Jesus changed. His very existence was one of those. After all we'd done, after all the failures of mankind, after all the sins, after all the death of the prophets, after all the mistreatment of women and the poor, Jesus comes through a woman, not quite married. The household at that time was poor. We know because of the sacrifice they offered was the sacrifice that could only be offered by the very poorest. Later, the sacrifice got a lot better. Uh, I think the gold, frankincense, and myrrh might have had something to do with that. But regardless, they were poor. She was um, a woman, not quite married. All of the old boundaries got broken there. He wasn't a Levite, and he's supposed to be high priest. He wasn't wealthy. He had no power, no special education. And yet, as the carol that we've been singing up until last Monday night at midnight, when you're not allowed to sing them anymore, evidently, that's arbitrary as well, is that Jesus was born to be king. Using the old boundaries, no, he wasn't. The scripture says he was high priest. Using the old boundaries, no, he wasn't. Jesus started changing things by the fact of being born. Changed everything. He spent his life continuing to move walls. I always am fascinated when they say, this wall can go, that wall can't. It's a supporting wall. Really? Is that written somewhere? How do you, they know. They know. And that's, or sometimes they, they didn't, and now they have to put a beam in, and, I, and that, that's always our thing. Okay, good. Somebody else made expensive mistakes. God said, some walls got to go. You see, for millennia, humans believed it was their civic duty and their religious duty to disapprove, disenfranchise, and push some people out. They believed, in other words, that to be good citizens, they had to shove some people out of their area, and to be good Christians, they had to disapprove of a long list of people. So Jesus walks in, and he changes things. By the way, let's trace things back to the root. If you take a look at Native American names for their tribe, their name for it, not the name we gave them. Most, uh, you may not know this, most of the name, whenever we say Cheyenne or Crow or the like, that's our name to put on them. Their name for themselves, if you translate it into their language, almost always means the same thing, the people. 
Their tribe are the people. Other tribes are not people. You don't have to love them, respect them. You can do what you wish to, the, to because they're not people. We are people. And if you're thinking, how savage and alike, you've not paid attention to Western European history. While our words don't work in that same way, you will find many people talking about being highly evolved in the Western world. What does that mean? That means others aren't quite human. Others aren't as good at being human as you are. What's, if you're evolved into a human, what are the uninvolved? What are the disinvolved? What are those? They are animals of some sort. During the Irish potato famine, there, there are no ways to nail down these numbers. It is thought that at least a million Irish died. And who knows how many left the country forced out by poverty, 40 miles away, that's the closest bet, to, is the, the island of Great Britain that makes up Scotland, England, and Wales. They didn't have a plague. They are doing just fine. Why didn't they help? Well, we have their speeches. Their speeches in Parliament. And it was basically because the Irish aren't really people. They're not highly evolved like we are. Throughout human history, we have always valued us more than them. Whatever those lines are, wherever you draw that line, us, not them. We even have drawn it more singularly than that. You might value women, not men. Men, not women. You see how we divide? We're experts at division. Jesus came in and said, that wall's got to go. That wall's getting out of here. We're going to have an open concept Christianity here. Jesus took the walls down and said, and uh, Paul phrased it this way, Philippians 3 and verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, where is your citizenship? It is in heaven. Does that mean we can't be good citizens in, in the States or in Breton or Indonesia or wherever we are? No, we, I think Christians are the best citizens. We behave, we share, we're kind. And when we're not, other Christians will call us on the carpet for it, as they should. We call ourselves, we don't always get there, let's always admit that. But we call ourselves to a high standard of behavior, not because we're good citizens, but because where our citizenship is, heaven. God is our king. We will bow to him we have a hard time realizing how radical this really is. In our country, it's perfectly legal to speak against the president, any president, all presidents. You can speak against the Constitution, and they do. You can speak against the entire culture, and people do. In many countries today, that would get you imprisoned or killed. Although it has not made much of a splash in the mainstream media, the fact uh, I'm, I have a lot of people... I follow in Iran on Twitter, and my phone's been blowing up the last few days. Iranian women led the march, saying we've had enough of the rules of this society that says we have to cover ourselves, we can't do this. They, they step, they're stepping out. Some of them have been shot down already. I saw buses, video today of buses of prisoners being taken off the streets, perhaps to be disappeared. 
Why? Because they spoke against their government. It's hard for us to get our heads around that sometimes, especially when media doesn't show us much of that stuff. And I'm not really sure why. I'm not trying to make a point here. I'm just, I don't understand all the choices that are made or why they make them. But think about it. In Jesus' day, your life expectancy would drop to near zero to speak against the authorities, to speak against this. You, you, no, no, no. You have to accept what they accept, do what they do. Do you remember Mordecai in the story of Esther? You'd better bow down when they walk by. you best bow down. Sometimes we get all excited because we see one of these high figures. I was in a, uh, several years ago, I was in a room where a bunch of people were talking about their celebrity encounters. And, uh, you know, this one had met that one. And they were all, it was, it was like one-upping everybody. I was the only quiet one. I know it's hard to believe. And, and they looked over at me and they said, you ever met famous people? And I said, well, kind of. And they said, what do you mean? I was in the Columbus, Ohio airport, minding my own business, standing there beside a door that doesn't open, and it opened. And men with suits came out and shoved me up against the wall. In my family, that's not that unusual. I wasn't panicking. <laughs> but then Janet Reno walked by. It, I, she had her detail to clear the way, evidently. And I said, I didn't see her, but one of the guys that works for her shoved me against the wall. Does that count? And they switched subjects to sports. It's highly important that we realize what is going on in the book of Revelation in the worship scenes. These are people who did not bow to the world. This is our people that did not bow to politics or culture or any other god. And remember, their emperors back then said they were gods and demanded worship. But the, the people in heaven did not bow to them but as soon as the Lamb of God walks out, they bow. The boundaries have changed. The rules have changed. We are good citizens here, and so we should be. But our citizenship is in heaven. We have one king, one Lord. This season, you've been bombarded with commercials about the perfect gift, and that you must have certain gifts, and that holiday meals should look a certain way, and your homes should look a certain way. All of this is put up as normal and expected, and this is what you must do. I happen to love the lights. I happen to love the songs, but it bothers me sometimes that it's acted like this is required. We need, we need to remind ourselves. We come from a different place. We are a different nation. We can enjoy and even participate, and, but we're not under obligation to do what the season tells us to do. Some of you felt like you had to go into debt because that's a rule. No, you didn't. You know, that's not necessary. We'll find another way to celebrate Jesus. Besides, much of this is a lie. I've had a couple of uncomfortable moments uh, this year and Christmas because I'll be in a group that's, number one, uncomfortable. You know, I love you. From a distance, you're lovely. And, and, but you're in a group. You're, and then somebody will, will decide, we need an icebreaker. Oh, I don't like icebreaker. Ice is there for a reason. And embrace the ice. But no, and they'll say, what was your favorite Christmas memory? And I keep thinking, don't come to me, don't come to me. Don't. Because in our family, Christmas was banned. You couldn't say the word. 
If somebody sent you a card, you couldn't open it. You had to put it back out. Gave you a gift. You had to refuse it. But you also had to refuse it by letting them know you disapproved of Christmas because it was a Catholic and a pagan plot. It's complicated. I don't want to go through all that. But it was, and it was all wrapped into um, the devil, so we can't have anything to do with it. But I knew I was missing something as a kid. I knew. And every now and then, when my dad wasn't around and mama wasn't on patrol, I would turn on the TV and see a Christmas special. Oh, my goodness. It seemed wonderful. That's what heaven looks like. And the best was when we were in America and I could see Andy Williams' Christmas special. The best ever. And as a little boy, I would watch him and his family all in their PJs, filmed in the summer in Los Angeles, (laughs) singing and loving and smiling on each other. And even as a little guy, I had a crush on his wife. French lady, Claudine Longer. I thought, this is what I want in my life. I want my life to be an Andy Williams Christmas special. Later, I would find out snow was fake. Timing was fake. That lovely marriage only lasted nine years. Claudine Longer would, in fact, go to prison later for shooting and killing her live-in lover. It might not have been what I thought it was. kind of like a western when a camera comes back and you realize there's nothing behind those facades. There's nothing behind those. The world is like that. It'll say, you must be like this. Participate. This is what you are like. This is what music is now. This is what art is now. This is... You don't have to participate. We live in a different place. We come from a different kingdom. That's what Jesus is showing us by moving the boundaries. What the world offers us just isn't real. Jesus is. This world will call anything love, and then in the next breath say there is no such thing as love. But Jesus defines and illustrates his love with his teaching and his life. And he says, follow me. The world takes people. This this fascinates me. The world takes people whose only discernible skill, oh, it is a formidable skill, but it's the only discernible skill, is to memorize words somebody else wrote for them to say and to pretend they are somebody else. And we call them stars. You ever wondered why so many Hollywood people have to speak out on every issue? I think it's because they realize they spent all their life being somebody else. They want their life They want to do something important that came from them. I I can understand that. But Jesus shows us that the true glory of God is not a ball player or a singer or an actor. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loves you. That is so cool. That is so cool. As a little boy, Claudine Langer did not know I existed. And had she learned, it would not have improved her life in any way, shape, or form. There was a distance there. However, because it wasn't real. Jesus is real. And when he loves you, you know, I look back on my life and I think the biggest accomplishment ever was that Cammie still likes me. I think. I don't ask. Uh, but I'm pretty sure. And that our kids still like us. After all this, we know each other and we love each other. That's a really wonderful thing. And Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. 
C.S. Lewis brings that up. That sometimes we'll think of all of our sins and we'll think God can't love us. And his response is, God knows more bad about you than you know. And he loves you anyway. How cool is that? Reality. You know, those who want to follow Jesus can seem very strange to the world. Ephesians 5, 18. In fact, I love the way that Paul puts it. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I don't know why the translators will not phrase that the way it's written. It says, be drunk with the Spirit. What does that mean? To the world, this looks crazy. It was 14 degrees when I climbed in my truck. I don't have heated seats or heating steering wheel or remote start. But I have a truck, so I'm ahead of the world. I got that. I let it warm up for about 10 minutes. I know that that's bad for the environment, but don't really care at that point. <laughs> at 14 degrees, I have stopped the caring issue. Um, in Detroit, they would, it got so cold that my wife and I would rent SUVs and just chase each other. You, you, we've got to get some warming up here somehow. I got into the truck and I thought, all the people I saw on Facebook, and I'm not knocking at all, I understand why they did it, where their churches were shutting because it was too cold because it's really cold up there. And too much flu. I get that. I really do. It seems crazy to come here on a day like this. Drunk. But we are. We are filled with the Spirit. It seems crazy to give your money to somebody else and let them work with it for a greater cause that you may never see the harvest from. But that's what we do. It's who we are. In fact, look at Ephesians 4:28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Why do we work? We work to share. That's what it's there for. It is not there to pile up. My dad overheard him once. I was a little guy. He was talking to somebody. And I don't know what the whole thread was. This is the only bit I remember hearing. Dad says, the man with five kids is richer than the man with five million dollars. The other guy goes, what do you mean? He said, because a man with five kids doesn't want another one. <laughs> I was number five. <laughs> I, um, I understand now what he means. I do, and that's not, that's not a problem. But when, when, do, when do you have enough money? Some people say, I would share if I had more. That's not the way this works. And to the world, that looks crazy. Okay, let it look crazy. Let's go back to that extreme home makeover metaphor for a moment. Most of us have lived in our houses for some time. And if you have, you know that you've got a lot of stuff. That your closets and your garage, your, your garage, for those of you who speak French, um, garage, oh, people. Anyway, um, it, it's full. It's full of stuff. You don't ever open a door and think, wow, this closet looks so lonely. It needs more things. No, it's, you're thinking, where can I put what I just got? We find sometimes we don't have any room. So we got to get a bigger place, or what are we going to do? But eventually, God in time does something to you. You're going to move to a smaller place. You're going to have to get rid of stuff. And when you do, you're going to find out other people don't value it like you do. One of my elders in West Virginia, he um, 
retired, resigned from the eldership because of his age and health. Byron, one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life, Byron Moore. And and his wife moved to an assisted living center there in Morgantown by the university. Cammie and I, I think Cammie's with me, went to see him. And I asked Byron, how you doing? You like your new place? And he he looked at me and he goes, I'm I'm glad I don't have a box of matches. My first thought was, whoa, if you don't like it, you don't have to burn it down. You know, there, there are several other options on the decision tree before we get to arson. But he finished the sentence, he said, because I don't have any place to put it. I've never forgotten that. Eventually, we're going to downsize. When Jesus came, he rearranged the rooms. And we don't have room for some stuff now. We don't have room for anger, hatred, bigotry, racism, gluttony, greed. There's no room for that in our house. He rearranged it. Even if you wanted, there's no place for it here. Maybe we need to do a good house cleaning to make sure what Jesus intended is what is going on in our homes. Cleaning alone will not fix this. We need to fill the space with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, he even talks about you clean out your house, get the devil far out of there, get all the dirt far out of there. He's going to get friends and come back if you don't fill that place with Jesus. So we clean out and we fill in. And that should not just be a New Year's resolution. That should be made every day. The enemy comes back if you don't put Jesus where he belongs. It's a constant thing. A comedian once, and I I cannot remember, rather, I I can remember who I heard it from, but I don't know if they were the origin, so I hate to give false credit, said this, to clean your house while you have teenagers at home is like shoveling the walkway while it's still snowing. I understood the concept, but we clean anyway, don't we? It is a constant work to keep the house that Jesus built free of greed and racism and power moves and all of that sort of thing. So let's just do it. Oh, by the way, Jesus didn't just remove some boundaries. He added quite a few. In the Sermon on the Mount, we see we're not allowed to hate another person. There's a boundary there. We're not allowed to wish them harm. There's a boundary there. We are required to love our enemies. We're required to love God and to show that by our lives. Jesus also said he is the way. The way. That's what's so offensive to the world because the world doesn't like anybody telling you this is the only thing you can do unless it's the only thing they wanted to do or that their team or their politicians say they don't like it when an off-site God, that's the way they look at him, comes and tells us how to behave. They'll even talk to you that that's unloving. No, we're in a lane and God put us there. I can remember we'd come back to visit Cammie's folk and we'd, we were living in Scotland and Kara got ill and it wasn't measles but we thought it might be or whatever. She was just a baby and she developed a high fever and it was on one of these holidays and so all the stores were shut back then. They stu- shut them all uh, except for a local like a Walgreens or CVS or something like that. And her dad said, take the truck and go down and get some chewable t- Tylenol. So I hopped in a truck took off down the road there in Denver, and idiots were on the wrong side of the road, and cars were scattering, 
Finally, I scattered off to the side and realized, oh, I'm the idiot. I was driving on the left side of the road. I was concerned with my, my daughter, and I defaulted to British. I, I was the bad guy. I was not in my lane. It's hard not to be in your lane now. They've got little things in the middle of the road, lines also, but these little cat-eye things that your, your wheels will go whoop, whoop, whoop. On this side, they've got the little rumble strips going on, and in new cars now, they'll little even flash at you. And I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking, well, great, I'll just sit here and play on the phone, you drive. No, no, I don't. The point is, we know staying in our lane is a difficult thing. We keep trying to find ways to keep people in their lane. Jesus said, I've got some walls here. You have to stay here. You're not allowed to do some of these things because that's not who we are. We are Christian. The coming of Jesus, what some Christians, including myself, call Advent, changed everything. And it wasn't just a mere redecoration. It wasn't a bit of paint, maybe a new couch. No, it was a lot bigger than that. It's a whole new mindset, a whole new set of lanes and rules, a whole new worldview. Where we used to pledge our loyalty, let's be fair and honest, we used to pledge our loyalty to the last loud voice or to the voice of our friends in the community, the last shiny object. Now, we believe in something else. We believe in someone else. I can think of no better way to end a year than to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I ask you all please to stand. We're going to say together the Apostles' Creed. There is one word in there that sometimes makes people a little nervous when it talks about a holy Catholic church. Please remember, that word means universal. All believers everywhere. So let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.